Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, aka Boilerhawk, aka HD underscore Star on the Bird app. Joined, joining me as always is Ben Ross, aka Ren Boss, twenty three on on the Bird app. Ben, how you doing? Don't at me. Uh, actually, yeah, you can do it. I'm bored. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm fat. I'm drunk. I'm happy. <laughs> I guess. You know, it's the holidays. Just, you know, uh, what, what's the word? Hedonism is running rampant. <laughs> oh, <laughs> through, boy. You know, through, I mean, of most of the senses, I guess. I'm at home, guys. Guys and girls. <laughs> um, but it's like, can I have one more cookie? Yes. Can yes. I have one more beer? Yes. Can I have one more plate of whatever is in the fridge? Yes. It's just the, the time of saying no is not right now. Yeah, the time of saying no is January. Um, I, I know. I have... I've, already, like, <laughs> I've already like downloaded workouts for January and <laughs> meal plans. Yeah, I've I, uh, I've thought about because I, I have all the next week off. Um, recording this on a Sunday, uh, so I have all of Monday through Friday off, and I've strongly considered how do I use this week to improve myself. And I'm like, you know what, nah. Like, I go back and forth. Do I want to try and get into at-home workouts right now? Not really. That's that's January's problem, I think. Um, so, so we'll check back here here next week with regard to that. But uh, I have similar experiences as you, Ben, in terms of just like, ah, you know, uh, let's have one more cookie. Um, ahead of the podcast that we recorded after the, the Purdue game, you you had a hot, a hot cookie take, Ben. And I want to dive into... Uh, this moment to discuss our favorite Christmas cookies. <clears throat> yeah, I think Christmas cookies is tough because, at least in my experience, every family has at least one baked good that is totally and completely unique to themselves. Like you won't find anywhere in the wild. Uh, only you'll only find it in maybe like a basement cookie tin, a uh, church basement cookie tin. Is the Midwest? Uh, I think parlance uh, of the term so like my family's is something called the cream to mint bar which is like are you aware do you know what they are i i know where it's going but i i haven't had one necessarily it's basically just a graham cracker crossed with like i don't even know what it's made up of sugar and graham crackers and then the middle is uh like cream to mint and cream so it's just cream to yeah you know cream to the, the liqueur and then just a bunch of cream and it's refrigerated, so it's a little bit tough. And then the top is just fudge. That's and that is that's it. Where I want thought it would go at all. <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a it's a bar. It's a bar, really. I guess it's a bar brownie fudge type of thing. Uh, but that's you know always been my favorite. And you know we only have it once a year. And then there's always you know the classic cutouts and spritz cookies. And uh, this year we did. My sister, I feel bad. She made real gingerbread men, and they were near inedible. Um, <laughs> and my, and my mom made, I think we, is this this take you were going for? My mom made, she's only made them a couple times before in the past, but now I think their new favorite is just a ginger, like a soft ginger snap, I guess. A, you know, a gooey, very delicious ginger snap type cookie. And I think that's my new favorite, uh, simply because it's a, uh, variation of what we normally done. Yeah. For, for us, it's funny because like. Christina has always been the sugar cookie person. And that was something that my family just never did in terms of like even de- decorating, which is a little surprising. Uh, I, I just don't think my mom necessarily won't leverages the fine motor skills to decorate cookies. Um, so, so that was something we were looking forward to doing. And I got Christina some dinosaur cutouts because there's this very cute set of dinosaur cookie pajamas that Elliot has that are decorated for Christmas, but all this baking stuff is just gone. Some combination of COVID 
Great British Bake Off, all sorts of things. So we couldn't find food coloring at all. So we'll decorate cookies, hopefully sometime this week. Um, you can find food coloring? No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, tried three or four different stores. Not specifically, but like we had to go for different things. I'm like, I'll try this store. I'll try this store. I'll try this store. Nope. Uh, <laughs> struck out plus one for for uh, uh, food coloring. So um, the one thing that I do love, and my parents came to town, is the peanut butter blossoms. Those to me are the it's greatest classic. Christmas cookie Can't go of wrong. all time. Um, the peanut butter, the chocolate, the sugar crust, it is just unbelievable. Um, lately, my mom, my mom has been making them uh, the last couple of years to where you can get it all in one bite. The unfortunate thing is mm. that she baked these and brought them, so we weren't able to get any of them hot out of the oven, um, but still tasty, still just so good. My absolute favorite. The best thing I ate, I think, full stop since I've been home, period. Uh, my mom made them, I think, for each. This is the first time I've ever had them. My mom made homemade cinnamon rolls. Uh, just an a absolutely laborious process. You know, you had to let the dough, uh, dough rest 24 hours, all that tight, all that jazz. It took her forever. It made the actual, like, cinnamon swirl filling and cut, made a big log and rolled them into rolls and homemade cream cheese frosting and all that had those Christmas morning. And I think like one of the best things I've ever eaten. Like I can't believe the recipe was like better than Cinnabon with what it was called or something. And it was like, I couldn't tell you, it reminded me of like being a little kid and getting the grand rolls, the crescent cinnamon rolls out of the tube, making those mm -hmm. with my sister. But this was like God tier. Yeah. So it was truly unbelievable. And like, if I had known about them before, like I would choose those over a birthday cake. Every, every, every year of my life. Like they, if I could have one more, I hope my mom listens to this. If I could have, if I could only have one more sweet year of my life, it would be those cinnamon rolls. And oh my goodness, it was truly special. That's great. Um, what were they sourdough cinnamon rolls by chance? I don't think or so. I think, I think just probably a basic pastry type of. Okay. No. Uh, and they looked, you know, totally stand. I wish I got a picture of them, but it was just like. You know, a big cake pan of little cinnamon rolls didn't, you know, didn't, they just, if you, they're smaller than like cinnamon, cinnabons, but like, you know, it's, they look uh, as appetizing as they, you know, they taste even better than they looked and they looked great. Oh uh, man, that, that sounds good. What, what we made for Christmas morning, my mom has this sausage ring with apple. She made it and brought it and what we've recently found out is it's actually better if you cut it up and then reheat it on the griddle because you get all the caramelization. That's mm. delicious. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we did was uh, spin on like normally we'll do French toast, but I gave Christina the Chrissy Teigen cravings book and she opened it last week and she has a French toast casserole in it with salted frosted flakes on top, which is just utterly absurd. It's but Chrissy Teigen. Oh, it's so good. It was it was crazy how good it was. And like a uh, half cup, I think, of Captain Morgan rum in it. And it was, mm. ooh, that's how you start your, your Christmas morning. I guess not necessarily start it, but uh, you know, finish it off. Because it was it was delicious. And, uh, you know, had, had some mimosas. You know, it, it's funny because Christina's birthday is the day after Christmas. And it was funny because we did the double mimosa on Christmas and the day after Christmas. And I had to like really go back into the memory bank to be like, when was the last time I had mimosas on back-to-back -back days? It's been a while. Can probably I, college. I know. It's been uh, probably in New Orleans um, uh. weekend. That, that would definitely be it, like the, the Friday and then Saturday of – but but it's not like at 9.30, 10 o'clock, like my family likes to eat breakfast early. So uh, th those mimosas are happening normal brunch time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just eating so much food. I, I heated up the, the casserole in a little uh, fry pan and it, it got nice and crispy. Got to figure out how to get the heat right on it. But, man, just a, a full day, full weekend of eating. And, and it's just going to extend. I know it's only getting worse. Two points. Uh, you made me. Re you reminded me of French toast. This was a birthday treat my mom made, and I completely forgot about it until you brought it up. She would make us 
King's Hawaiian French toast. So we were, we were able to get loaves of King's Hawaiian bread wherever we were. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen it since I moved out of Minnesota. And then you let that, you know, get stale after a couple of days, and then you make French toast with that. And that is, again, God tier status. Ugh, now I want that. Best thing I drank. Um, we done this maybe three or four years in around me. My mom was tradition. We make homemade eggnog, and we put. Oh, man. We put a pint of Maker's Mark in it, and you, oh, you let it sit. You let it sit for like three days, and it just totally, completely mellows out. You can't taste the booze. It just sneaks it right up on you. You put put it in your coffee on Christmas morning, and that's the only way to open presents. And that was that's a pretty, pretty. I highly recommend if you ever made. And it's, it couldn't be easier making homemade eggnog. It's milk, cream, eggs, sugar. That's literally it. Um, and nutmeg if you can get it, and some cinnamon if you're feeling fancy, and then bourbon, rum, whiskey, anything. I've even done it with tequila before, and you just you just let it sit. It, it's good, man. I promise. If you like, want to get really fancy, it's like tequila, and you want to get some cognac in there or something. Um, I read that off of some. The original recipe is actually from, I think, Deadspin's Albert Bernanke. Oh, now, yeah. Now, now, now defectors. And then the tequila one was from some hoity-toity famous mythologist in like Portland or something that I pulled that from. I guess the 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 way tequila makes sense is just like you think about it from the chocolate cinnamon from that phylum of Mexican flavors, and and instead of the chocolate, you have the egg flavor. That that I guess egg isn't really a flavor, but the custard, I guess you would call it. Like the flan, the flan. I don't know. Trace leches plus tequila. I guess that's probably the the flavor it's coming from. Man, I would have not thought about tequila in an eggnog. That's got my mind spinning. I am shook. The recipe is from Clyde Common in Portland. Never been, probably never will go. Uh and it's it's sherry, tequila, and yeah, and then the cream, milk, eggs, sugar. That's it. Man, I, I am totally shook by that. I, I know um, one thing we wanted to talk about is I, I don't know if you still went through. Did you do? Did you end up watching Soul with with the family? We did. Just I mean, I am emotionally wrecked. We're going to be doing this podcast. Finish Soul like an hour ago, <laughs> and I mean, watching that movie, just me and my mom and my dad, like. Very, very heavy. I loved it. Of course, I have nothing bad to say about it. I think I have a. I, I don't know. It, it felt I'm like still processing a, it. I'm still processing it. Okay. I think it was a B plus inside out. I think is where I, think, I, I, I agree. I do kind of agree with that. Yes. And I, I think um, uh, the thing about Soul is that. It does in Pixar in general. It doesn't even we're talking, feel. We're talking about the Pixar and the new Pixar movie Soul. Yes, S O U L. Disney Plus. <laughs> I don't even think they're making kids movies anymore, but they're making movies for people who were kids in the '90s and early 2000s. Is that or because that's not a kids movie, is it? Like, well, I, no, I, that's the thing. We started on Christmas Day. I was over at my sister. We were at my sister's, and they've got a 20 month old, and like the first, you know, 10 minutes it's totally like a normal Pixar movie. Then the thing happens and it's like, what, what the hell is this? And we turned it off. <laughs> and then, and also, you know, the baby is getting Nancy, you know, and my brother-in-law, his attention span is, you know, non-existent. Uh, so it's like, you know, we'll, we'll try it again. So we just turned on Mariah Carey's Christmas on Netflix and that my niece watched that four times in a row. <laughs> no, but I mean, it was, it was good. I like the music. I mean, Pixar is just nailing the music lately. Um, so but- the guy who did the music uh, came from the theater right across the street from my parents live in Minneapolis, the Guthrie. He used to be the director of music there. A lot, oh, of, wow. Minneapolis, a lot of Minneapolis connections uh, with Pixar. Kind of funny. That's crazy. That's crazy. I, I think, yeah. yeah, I think maybe I'm still processing that. I think it's the, the interesting thing is just kind of the angle they take in terms of the soul's being developed before they hit earth and i don't think that's really a spoiler um but it's an interesting angle to have especially when you kind of 
balance it against what Inside Out was, uh, I don't know, five years ago. I don't know. It feels like forever ago. But I, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe part of this is just like not watching movies at theaters because like Onward was the last movie that I saw and I cried at that. Coco I saw and I bawled at that. And I'm also an easy crier, so that's part of it. But then Soul, I didn't necessarily have that emotional heartstring because, you know, I'm doing my best not to be on my phone, but it's easy enough to like go into the fridge, grab a drink and then come back out um, and kind of be a little more distracted uh, than I would normally be in a theater and just totally focused in on it. So maybe it's, it's more of a critique on myself than, than on uh, the movie at large. I've gotten pretty good in the habit of putting my phone like on the counter away away from arm's length my parents are the absolute worst during this movie i had to <laughs> take their phones away <clears throat> um but i mean once you do it after like a week like i do it now back in back at my place in chicago i'll have the phone on my counter behind me or put in my like sock drawer if i want if i want to pay attention to a movie for two hours or even zone out with breath of the wild or something um it's uh, it, it, because i was thinking about this today watching waiting for you, this podcast to start how as I get older, I sort of care less and less about sports. But when I was in like high school and first couple of years of college, I was totally completely tuned in to meaningless games. So I was watching the watching the um, the Packers game going on right now, and they're just demolishing Tennessee. And it was like I would still watch that game all four quarters in high school, and I'd be like, and I wouldn't have a phone to like keep my eyes averted off of it either. It's like I'm half watching this game, and I'm not even interested in it. I'm more interested in my phone. Whereas if this was happening eight, 10 years ago, I'd be watching this to the bitter end and it's totally and completely meaningless. Like I'm embarrassed and I see with my dad now, like attention spans are gone. I'm, I'm a child. Like I can't, I can't focus on, you know, they call it, they call it what multi-screen viewing right now. Like when you're talking, I'm checking my phone too here. It's pathetic. <laughs> It, it is funny because, like, we, we've discussed it before, just, like, how basically the only sports I care about um, were Iowa sports, even Packers. I'm a Packers fan. You mentioned it. And it's like the Packers have done so much better when I haven't watched these games than when I have watched them. So, like, I just kind of retired from watching these games except for, like, sort of paying attention. And it's like it's the Sundays, you know, so it's like, uh, you know, I spend all my Saturday watching college football you know, finding the right games I want to watch and, and just end up not really watching on Sundays because you just pick your battles, I guess. Um, but ultimately, it's like you realize you don't really need them like, <laughs> like I used to in the past. Like, I mean, we would go out and, you know, neighborhood bar and watch all of Sunday's games. And, you know, I guess when you have a kid, that just <laughs> that just isn't it. And, like, I mean, even you, you said, like, you, you just don't necessarily have – those priorities and you didn't need a, a kid to tell you, uh, not literally, but uh, to reset the priorities away from sports. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, bought, got back into video games recently, got into cooking. It's just like trying to <laughs> develop skills that, uh, not that video games are skill, but you know, just like, I don't know, try to be a little bit more well-rounded, a little bit more of a Renaissance man. And like, I just see when I just see like, you know, not to totally completely pick on a demographic or just all my friends, but it's like seeing like the people I live, my most recent roommates were so heavily invested in their sports teams in a way that it just isn't healthy. Like it completely consumed their lives to a point delusion. You know, I'll just say they're Bears fans and they, you would think in my group chats with them, you would think that the Bears won the Super Bowl today. You would honestly believe, and like they're not even in the playoffs. Like they're not; it's not even clinched. <laughs> and like they're selling themselves on uh, the backup quarterback for the Rams beating the the Cardinals next week. That's the only way they can get in. They have to win, and the Cardinals have to lose. And uh, when Scott hurt, he broke his thumb, so he's not starting. And they are like pulling up this guy's college fo- this college I can't I've never even heard it's like Tyler Bradford or something never heard of this guy they're, they're posting his college highlights like this is what you're doing over the holidays right now you're, you're, you're at your parents house Brian and you're watching the this guy's division two highlights like I I never want to be there ever oh man oh man it, it's funny 
just what it is. I, I don't know. I, I think Bear, Bears fans might be a different breed. Trashy to... diehard sports fan of the sports podcast. Yeah, that's a good way <laughs> to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think we try and have a pretty good perspective on this. And we'll we'll touch on I mean, this is what we've become, Ben. I mean, we're, we're a, a sports podcast, ultimately, uh, that that devotes 15 to 20 minutes uh, on shooting the breeze and tries to keep the rest of it under 40 minutes so that we can be an hour total. And, uh, you know, it works. I, I think it's good. Uh, I like chatting with you, Ben. That's, that's really what it comes down to. And I, know. Um, yeah. I, I guess the, the last thing I want to discuss before we do move to sports is you've mentioned Breath of the Wild twice, once off podcast, once on. Is that a um, Zelda Breath of the Wild? Is that a new Christmas gift? Or do you have a, a, a favorite Christmas gift you want to discuss um, you know, as we, uh, turn our attention to sports in a little bit. No, it's not a new gift. Uh, well, it is a gift from a friend of mine. He gave it to me because his, his girlfriend got it for him and he already had it and she didn't know it. So he <laughs> gave it to me. Um, so I just started playing it and it's all, like, I know it came out in 2017, I think, but it's like better than I could have, could ever imagined. I barely like, when I bought an N64 when I must have been, God, I don't even know, 10, 12. Like the very first game I played was Legend of Zelda. And I don't even like, I remember liking it, but I can't tell you anything about the story really. And then I haven't played a single Zelda game since. I, I don't even know what the names of the ones after it were in fourth consoles. And then this is the first time I picked it up and it's like almost emotional. Um, just get, you know, remembering like the, the sound effects and the movements and the noise, like it's pretty crazy and you know the switch obviously the graphics cards can't be as good as xbox or ps3 but i'm still blown away um best christmas present by far was uh i got a set of golf clubs and i mean oh man yeah like that's i mean i talk about golf on here a lot uh (laughs) (laughs) and uh i mean that's really all i got that's all i mean it's the best thing that's ever happened to me so that's really it what about you I think um, it, we made out a little bit by like bandits this year. Um, my my wife and I got a set of pots and pans. I think they're caraway, like all ceramic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so those we've used a couple times, and those are just awesome. But really, the, the coup de gras um, was getting an espresso. Uh, Christina got that for me. Um, didn't really ask for anything. I am. You know, uh, like I wrote in our wish list that I'm a worst, I'm a bad gift giver and a worst gift asker, if that makes sense, gift requester. Um, and like out of the blue, get an espresso, the height of um, the bourgeois uh, waste, so to speak. But man, uh, I am all in on that thing. It is just unbelievable. Um well- you don't have to feel bad about the waste because you can mail in the pods. Yeah. Right? That's what my mom does. Uh, yes. <laughs> Figured out my UPS drop site for that. <laughs> which is, I mean, good for them. You know, even if I've got a sneaking suspicion that those pods are going into a landfill too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if it can make you feel better while you're doing it, it's funny. I, I got my parents a membership to Masterclass uh, f- to their gift. If you don't know what that is, it's basically just like, one percent of all not i don't want to say influencers they're famous athletes actors chefs artisans professional artisans at the top of their class and all their professions and one of them was this famous barista and she and this morning my mom was watching her how to make great drinks on her nespresso she's already using her gift uh so that was fun oh man that that's good that's good but i i just uh, I do the thing on the Instagram where I do the fake seltzers or the seltzer reviews. Are you greater than a white claw? I think I'm going to have to branch out and start doing different coffee reviews because between the Burr coffee grinder that I got, um, the front, and then I just use that for French press and then all the HEB flavors of coffee, it is, uh, you know, a highly caffeinated, uh, Christmas for me. So I am very excited. Cannot wait for my order of Nespresso pods to come in. Like I said, there there is probably a more efficient way for me to order them. Um, but you know what? It's what it is. Uh, it's 
I'm just excited for the Nespresso. It is just unbelievable how, how tasty it is. I've, I've had three so far, not today, over the, the weekend, and it is a lot of fun. So um, You can find him on Twitter at Harrison Starista. Oh, oh, there yeah, it is. That's good. Yeah. I'm, proud of that. I'm proud of that. <laughs> I, I've thought about having a Punk's Twitter handle, and maybe I should just branch out to the, the barista Twitter handle. Um, so Ben, uh, you broke the news on this podcast about, uh, the Iowa football team, um, going into a pause and, um, right now we, we have learned earlier today that the bull game will not happen, which is something I think we both predicted though. Maybe not the, the way that it turned out. I thought that it would be a little more 50 50 in terms of um, Iowa and Missouri coming together and um, both having their COVID issues and deciding not to play the game. But it seemed like Iowa was ready to move forward with as many people as they had and play the game. Uh, But Missouri, they, I think this is where it gets a little dicey, right? In terms of, um, Laying blames, maybe the wrong word, maybe the right word. I think it's the right word. You called it backed out. I think the way that Missouri um, played uh, the the lead up to it, sending their kids home, they they had no real intention of playing the game. So why why agree to play it? I guess is really where I set on that because you could have found a team, right? Um, but so well, I don't know. Point, People are you don't think so. That- I don't know if they could have found a team. Not even with the short notice. Like who was there? You have to look into too. Like who wasn't invited to a bowl game that you'd want to play? Like when is there anybody that like you would end up with uh, a Nebraska type team? I don't know. It was like the Nebraska of the ACC right now? Would, would we even want to play a three and six team? Like would would you want to see that? We I wouldn't want to see something now. But I think if if Missouri had said no, we don't want to play a game. Like they, the way that they went about it, okay, said they didn't want to play a game. Okay. I think they could have gotten like Coastal Carolina, yes, yeah, or someone yeah, like that, yes. Yeah. And I think that is a compelling matchup. Both teams wanted to play, would have wanted to play, um, and it would have been given the the right amount of lead time. I think that's the type of thing that maybe would have played out. Now, if Iowa had just gotten um, the next team in the SEC. Probably not, but I, that that's kind of the thing that I come back to is these teams just, or these bulls just really didn't lay out a slate and kind of throw caution to the wind in terms of um, the the conference alignments, and it just left us with a bunch of kind of bad games that we're just going to see more cancellations um, because it just. Uh, we, we weren't all that excited about playing Missouri, um, but I do feel bad for the kids is ultimately what it comes down to because clearly they were ready to, to rock and roll from a, a um, you know, preparation standpoint. The, the most, I mean, going back real quick, yeah, I agree. If Missouri would have backed out earlier or just never said committed in the first place, yes, we could have found a much better team. But like people are saying today, like why can't you know the game was supposed to be in four days? Why couldn't Iowa find a replacement opponent? Opponent, aside from the fact you know the logistics of game planning, which I don't want to f- argue about that right now. Again, my my point is, who would we get? Like whoever was last in the SEC or ACC, I don't want to see that game. the The most screwed up thing moving forward, the most screwed up thing I think about this whole thing is Iowa's players spent the the week in Iowa City, away from their families. Well, Missouri, you mentioned Missouri's play, players were, had the opportunity to go home and spread love and other things all across their hometowns, um, across the country. And so you just have to feel really bad for the kids. I've got no reason. Kirk was coming out of his own quarantine tomorrow, I think you mentioned, uh, for his positive test. Haven't heard any a peep about that, but it sounds like he had a mild case um, with the disease. Uh, yeah, just feel bad. Brandon Smith earlier before the announcement officially, Brandon Smith said he wasn't going to play in the game uh, because and prepare for the NFL draft. And, you know, that was sort of a, a foreshadowing. I think he announced it two hours before the official announcement. Uh, so I, I guess Iowa players probably had a little bit of a heads up 
and you just have to feel really bad that you know they lost to Christmas. Um, and I I haven't been in Iowa City over the holidays as a non-student, but I can't imagine they'd rather be there uh, than back home. And like, uh, is Iowa even doing in-person learning second semester? I don't even know. Yeah, I think we're we're probably gonna ask questions we don't know the answers to. But I think what it, what it does come down to is guys who were ready to hang up the cleats, just having between the Michigan game and this game get canceled after getting planned on a, however short notice it was. Um, maybe they just didn't get necessarily the closure that they were looking for, um, and it's tough. I think Keith Duncan, he tweeted um, that, you know, he, he, the last five years he hadn't spent a Christmas with his family. Um, So that was part of the, maybe the way that Iowa players uh, approached it from a um, mindset standpoint, although it is different, um, you know, when, when you're celebrating Christmas and, you're able to have a big luncheon or dinner with the team versus this year. It's a lot of probably, probably Cornish game hens getting cooked in, in uh, the ovens or whatever the, the takeout meal is for apartment downtown kitchens. Yeah. For, for, for the, the football team uh, it's just not the same. Um, so they didn't, may not have necessarily had that camaraderie as they were trying to get right from a COVID standpoint. Um, but there was, you know, Kirk, it looked like he was at practice yesterday from some pictures. It looked like Davion Nixon and Chauncey Goldston were um, in those pictures as well. Like you said, Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith were the two most notable guys who, whether they knew that the game wasn't going to happen or not, they telegraphed that they weren't going to play in it. Um, and Kirk said something funny. It was captured by Jeff Johnson. Um I don't know if it's like a new Kirk and this is actually truly new Kirk, but he said something to the effect of uh, with Amir Smith-Marset's flip, um, that was kind of when the decision was made that he wasn't going to play in the game because uh, of the injury. And he said, the fall is exhilarating. The landing is a bitch. Um, and, and I think maybe that's, that's about the, the phrase that boils this season um, most simply. Uh, you know, it was, it was an exciting season. Um, exhilarating at times, but um, there's no good way for it to end. Um, even though six and two, um, there will be what ifs about it. And perhaps the the easiest way to frame it is if you win one of the first two games, you're not playing an opponent that really couldn't care less about uh, the Music City Bowl to say nothing about what Nashville's going um, through with their explosion downtown. Um, don't need to get into that, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it it sucks to see it end this way, um, but I don't think from a fan standpoint we were all that geared up to watch it or cover it, even though it was it was the ninth game. And, and I think from that perspective, we were looking forward to it, but um, not really raising our expectations. Yeah, I mean, was I going to watch, going back to me bashing sports fans earlier, like, was I going to watch this game? Yes. Was I excited yes. to watch it? I, I don't know. Like, honestly, I kind of think I did a spread even come out for this game. Like, I kind of thought, because I was doing some very light bowl prep on Missouri, and like, let's be honest, this Missouri team was not good. They were five and five. And if we're being honest, maybe the worst SEC of my lifetime. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, but honestly, truly, um, I just don't like, uh, you know, I would have blogged this game when I watched this game. I'd have been happy with a win nine and two. Uh, it it would have been a great year or not nine and two, excuse me. Um, seven and two would have been a great year with nine, nine games <clears throat> played in the, in this particular season. It, you know, it's just, I mean, I was about to hop on a Missouri a podcast earlier this afternoon. Then the game got canceled. So it's just you know, the type of things you do i mean it's just you know you can you get more the, the fact of the matter is you start looking forward to next season you are sad that you don't get to see ism smith nick probably almost certainly nixon other guys like that again and now you just look look ahead to next season uh really this offseason will be the most interesting thing 
because you get to pay attention to see who's going to exercise their fifth or sixth year option. Um, and then, so that's, I'm curious, we'll get into this later on a different day, but I'm curious to see what, the, how, you know, what the scholarship breakdown is going to, how it's going to affect years to come uh, with, the, with this weird, weird year, but really just have to turn the page on this season. And us as an Iowa sports podcast and sports fans, you just have to now fully invest in basketball five days earlier than you had planned. For better yeah, or for worse. For, for better or for worse. Yeah, I think you teed that up pretty well, Ben, um, because we're going to do a, a better job coming to it in terms of uh, having a full kind of season post-mortem looking forward in the next season. We'll, we'll break that out into a separate podcast um, and, and have that probably in the next week or two. Um, because yeah, I think that's kind of the way to approach it. Who, who's, who's back, who's leaving, um, who, uh, who does Iowa play? Like, I have, I have thoughts on Iowa's schedule that I think will maybe even been, be fun to, to look at. Oh, it stinks. Nine months it. ahead. Of, yeah, I know. Right. So, uh, I, I think we'll go ahead and <laughs> press pause on that discussion for, for the later day that you mentioned. And, and, uh, after the break, we are going to talk basketball. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we are back. Ben, Iowa basketball in the time since we last talked, lost a game to Minnesota in dispiriting fashion, I will say. It was uh, a overtime game. Sorry, I had it memorized and then I didn't. They lost where they lost 100, 102 to 95. Yeah. The game was a full. 68 possessions so from an efficiency standpoint it was very bad from a defensive perspective um and i guess kind of what are your not so immediate takeaways but i think you you had the recap and you had a little bit of a measured approach from um thinking about it but uh not fun to lose to minnesota um no matter how you slice it Uh, yeah, I've mentioned many times on this podcast that, you know, from Minnesota, the only sporting event my dad had season tickets to throughout my entire life growing up were was Minnesota basketball. Me going to Williams Arena was the only thing I looked forward to in the winter months from ages like seven to really until I committed to Iowa of my senior year. <laughs> and this game... I can remember when Minnesota beat, I think Indiana was number, was Indiana number one when Tubby Smith beat them. That's the Zeller year. Oh boy. Um, you would know this better than me. I know. My I think Indiana was there. Maybe there were one or two, but I, I would put this win just behind that as the best uh, Minnesota basketball win of my lifetime. Um, so, all right, you can have that Gophers fans, but <clears throat> I mean, I've got lots of takes on this. Um, I think most important is, is December. Iowa is 1-1 one one in the Big Ten, while Michigan State is 0-2. I think that is the most important thing to put in perspective. Iowa just put up. Iowa has the number one offense in the entire country. The day after we lost to Minnesota, Virginia got shit on by Gonzaga, lost by 25. Um, Illinois squeaked out a win against Indiana that Indiana was winning, bleeding, I think for uh, 35 minutes of that game or 36 minutes. It's just, and then I watched, uh, meanwhile on Christmas, earlier in the day, I watched uh, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and I didn't think, you know, Wisconsin got the first win in Lansing since like 2003, I think. It's like, Wisconsin didn't look that great. Demetra Trice went off. And so uh, Minnesota had that with Marcus Carr. Like it just, it, it happens. Uh, I no, and I don't. It ha- I don't mean to say it happens because I feel like that. I feel like we say it happens to 
like, Iowa when they lose inexplicably uh, all the time, thinking about Ron Harper, <laughs> thinking about like Ron Harper two years ago and things like that. Um, you know, I, I'm going to let you have your take on it, but my biggest thing before we get into my other tidbits on it, it's December. The, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't think the sky is falling at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the sky is falling, but I was prepared to have like a, you know, the defense isn't that bad because when you really think about it, right, they were one made shot away from winning in regulation and they even had a chance to win at the end. And then you think about overtime, overtime was brutal. There's, there's no way to defend the lack of defense on the exact same play within the first minute of overtime. So I, I kind of want to clear all the air, but here's ultimately where I settled with why you just, the defense was indefensible, which I think is a horrible pun, but something I'm going to use multiple times. When you look at what Minnesota did, if they had not made that last three, it was still 1.18 points per possession. And I know I'm getting into the nitty gritty, but 1.18, the last time Iowa won a game with defense that poor was in 2018, and it was that overtime game at Illinois. They were 103rd, um, according to Ken Palm. When you go back and look at, well, what if Iowa had made that last second shot that Bohannon heaved? That would have been 1.22 points per possession by Iowa's defense that they gave up. The last time that happened was, conveniently enough, at Minnesota 2015. But then over time, 1.32 points per possession. Under Fran, they had never won giving up that defensive number. So that's always kind of where I come from in terms of how bad was it because I think it's it's always important to like reset, especially with Iowa's defense being so situational that you just look at the raw – the simple division and see where that frames out because typically um, between one and 1.1 points per possession is a safe number for Iowa to win, if not have a very strong chance of winning. Um, But yeah, like, I mean, under any three of those kind of what ifs that could have played out um, (laughs) just, it, it was bad, and, and I think what's concerning is you carry the baggage that you have with you. This group of um, players for Iowa have continuously not been strong at defense, um, but it, it's frustrating because that game was there. I, I thought for 39 minutes it was awesome because at halftime they were down five points. They just stuck with the game plan. They got hot. Um, I don't. I don't, think they got, I don't even think they got hot. I think it's the talent gap between Iowa and Minnesota reared itself in the second oh. half, and that's why I felt so confident they were going to win. This hasn't been talked about enough, I think, and part of that's I'm, I didn't make a big deal out of it in the recap. I had to throw a throwaway line about it. Where do you? And I don't even know Fran's philosophy on this. Where do you stand on not fouling Marcus Carr at the end there? Here's where I stand. If you have a strong one-on-one defensive team, you make him shoot the ball as difficultly as possible. Iowa does not have a strong one-on-one defensive team, and I think you have to foul. I, I know Thad, he, he, on staff, he tweeted, you know, when you don't foul up three, you deserve to lose like he did in overtime. I think that's a little bit of a strong take in my opinion, but... His perspective as a high school coach influences that. And I think that um, it's hard not to you, – you don't remember the games you lose when you do foul. You do remember the games you lose when you don't foul because they're stupid. I mean, they, they end up getting a clean shot, and and that happens. Do you even remember – do you know if Fran is on the record – on like his philosophy, because I know isn't Coach K staunchly against fouling, or some high-profile coach is staunchly always ripped against fouling. Maybe it was Dick Vitale even um, was super against fouling, and I feel like just by watching 
Iowa basketball as close as I have for the past 10 years. I can't remember. You, you just mentioned, you know, you remember when you do lose like that. I can remember I was ever losing off of not fouling like that. So I guess that's just why I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, I think the one game that comes to mind where Iowa was leading in the final minute where they ended up losing was against Nebraska in 2019. And that was infuriating because I thought they played solid defense, but James Palmer just hit a ton of shots. And they weren't up. I think they were only up two in the final minute. We were up five in the final minute against Minnesota. I, yeah. Was it like a seven point? I mean, it was, it was bad. And, And what, you also need to miss your free throws for that to happen. And it's unfair yeah. to, pin, to pin it on Joe Toussaint, who had a really pretty good game otherwise. Um, but he missed a couple free throws down the stretch. CJ Frederick missed, you know, two he out of three free throws. Yeah. Um, he still had a great like, game. He had a great game. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I mean, it's like these guys had good games. And, and you know, our perspective with football typically is to, if, if there's room to blame the coach, blame the coach. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Fran had his best game. I think the thing that is concerning as we look forward is there just feels like um, there's an optimal balance that he's not found with his rotation. I think he has the right nine guys. I think he did a solid job maybe going away from uh, Nunji on, on – uh, Friday, but it just seems tough when, I mean, the, the Toussaint Bohannon is the, the most glaring at, uh, Bohannon mm-hmm. having 28 minutes, Toussaint 17, I think if I remember it correctly. Um, and I don't think he's been admitted in overtime too, right? And that's it. Yeah. I think, I think Bohannon played just, he started in overtime and then he very quickly came out because he, mm-hmm. he had his fourth foul. Um, there's just not an optimal balance there. And I, I would almost maybe put Connor into that mix too. He played 34 minutes, solid mm-hmm. floor game, six assists, no turnovers. Um, but it just feels like Iowa is different with Joe Toussaint at point. Yep. And, and I think without, I, I think it's fair to say without question he's our best defender right now. Right. Him and him and Frederick. Um, yeah without a doubt they're they're the best players and that that's kind of the thing that that frustrates me about it too is like you look at basketball and there are 20 games you want to get everyone that you can but there are just going to be ups and downs in that have negative game results that you don't want to see happen i did a little bit of math on twitter in terms of like comparing what does it look like for football and if you think about you know football you only we only had eight games, but if you look at those at 20 minute segments being a game, would we react the way that we did, I guess, 40 to 60 minutes into a football season? Kind of because it was Purdue, right? I mean, that was a bad loss, but um, it's tough to be like, ah, this 20 minute stretch, this is who they are. But when you have the baggage of not being a solid defensive team, it, it carries with you. And, and that was really what was concerning. It sucks to see someone go eight of nine from three against your team. <laughs> like just, it happens a lot, Ben. I happens a lot where a no namer, I was, wasn't Robinson two for 10 on the year before. Um, something like that. It's, well, no, it, I mean, Brandon Johnson. Well, I meant Johnson, excuse me. Uh, yeah. A 33% free throw. Yeah. Yeah. Two for 10. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> that just happens all the time. Uh, you know, the, my biggest issue, and you touched on this, is I think this game doesn't happen in a vacuum, and I'm just very afraid that if it this exact same game happens again when we play Minnesota in two weeks, three weeks even, um, Fran wouldn't change a fucking thing is what I'm really scared about. You know, I don't. I hated the lineup. I, he went with the starting lineup to start overtime, and I hated that. Um, Bohannon was ice cold, and he, you know, he went on the bench right away. Uh, it ju- it didn't feel like he put out his best players um, 
and it didn't put his team in the best position to win, to win that game. And you knew, you know, overtime was the game was over two minutes into overtime. I mean, mm-hmm. Really, it wasn't even close. So I'm just really, you know, I think CJ Frederick, he, he, you know, he didn't have any scathing comments, but he was, he, you know, he said we, they choked the game away. He said we, you know, we caught, uh, you know, we we lost this game. Minnesota didn't win this game. I mean, I don't think he said that, but that, that's what his, that's what the sentiment was. And I'm just scared that, you know, this is the type of people are saying this is the type of game that teams that win a Big Ten championship don't lose, and I kind of do agree with that. But at the same time, it's the second game of the year for in the in the conference rather. And I mentioned, you know, Michigan State's 0-2, and, you know, we're going to get a chance to, to do this again. The, the sample size is too small. And, uh, you know, I think the players are going to get better. I just hope kind of the coaching does too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point when you think about how Fran started overtime because by putting Bo Hannon out there, it forced Iowa to go into a 2-3 zone and they were able to attack it with the high pick and roll. Frederick covered the roll, well, yeah, and there well, wasn't Iowa that rotation got, up. And that's how Iowa got in such a big deficit early with that one. Yeah. Like, what'd you expect? Yeah, I mean, we have 10 minutes. Do, do you think that that the the way that Fran needs to adjust is to alter the starting lineup and, and set the minutes that way? I don't know if, you know, altering the starting lineup, if you want to, I, I, the starting lineup doesn't bug me as much, I guess, in general, if, let's just say, Joe Toussaint gets more minutes, maybe Jack Nungy gets less, or Jack Nungy just puts a three ball away forever, <laughs> or for the season, um, because I, the problem is, I'm not ready to give up on Jordan Bohan and just yet, I know lots of people are, he had... I mean, if we're being honest, his only good game of the year is North Carolina, right? Maybe it's mm-hmm. a great game. Um, and I think, you know, I I think he could do it. I think he has everything in his power to do it again. Give me two or three more Big Ten games where he shoots. What do he shoot? Three for uh, three for nine against Minnesota. Uh, give me more, a little bit more of a sample size when the season get into crunch time. I, I, the fact of the matter is we need to see more Joe Toussaint. Uh, people are, I was complaining about on Twitter, like I'm about to put on a, I'm about to put a, what is it? A missing person's request out for Joe Toussaint. And people were saying, oh, they're clogging the lane and we need shooters out there. It's like, not even for an offensive perspective, you want Joe Toussaint. On defense against uh, a team like this, he's by far, you know, him and Frederick were our best defenders and he can do things uh, that Bohannon just can't do with the ball. Same, same, I mean, Connor to a lesser extent too. I, I, I do think really though, like this is Joe Toussaint's team next year. And it, it's sad to see that he, he'll see so many more minutes last year than he's going to see this year. I, I, I do really want to see more of him. I want to see him take a bigger, bigger stand. I want to see him, him grow because I think he could be really, really great. And, you know, right now I don't want to say, you know, move over Jordan Bohan. I, I don't want to sound incredulous, but it's like, you know, maybe he's just, maybe he, and we don't know how he's feeling. Maybe he really is hobbled because of his hip um, uh, from the surgery that's still carrying over from last year. I just think, you know, maybe a big lineup change is worth it. Uh, and to the to the point, too, it sounds, we all, I feel like we always say this, but like, I think Garza had like 36 points. It feels like, again, he had another quiet game, and it's frustrating how, I don't think he had any points in overtime. How, or it maybe only, it maybe only had one basket. It's like, how can we not drop more plays? to get the number one player in the entire nation uh, isolated more looks in critical moments of the game. And I don't think, you know, having Jordan Bohannon off the floor makes that happen. That stirs that drink. But I think having Jordan, Joe Toussaint on the floor over Bohannon creates another threat that, you know, you defend him differently than you defend Bohannon. I think that opens up uh, things for not just Garza, I guess that kind of takes with my point, but from other shooters too. Cause if you clog the lane, then with Toussaint, then that makes it a little bit tougher for Garza, but he can shoot the three two now. Now all of a sudden, or take an eight, you know, take a uh, eight, eight ten footer. So you just have to give yourself as many options as you can. And Jordan Bohan, and you're playing with a smaller deck at this time. Yeah, I think it sort of reminds me to don't not to cut you off. It sort of kind of, kind of reminds me of Spencer Petrus 
I can't. Oh, we. I guess we avoided talking about Petrus for so long on this podcast because of how he's playing, and then Petrus ended up having ending the year really well. Not saying it's <laughs> happened with Bohannon, and not saying that you know I'm superstitious that we caused that, but it's like. <laughs> You know, we're we're just not ready to quit on these guys because we're diehard sport diehard sports fans, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that the thing that changes the calculus with Jordan Bohannon versus Joe Toussaint is what you mentioned in Luca Garza being a knockdown three point shooter. There is there's one point where I said he was Iowa's best shooter, and on certain nights he's going to be Iowa's best shooter. Um and you don't really need to provide spacing around him because he is providing that spacing himself. Um, so you throw out kind of the best defensive lineup that you have around him. You protect uh, Garza with athletes around him. And, and I think this is where it changes a little bit because if – if you're taking Bohannon out, I'm not so sure it's as easy as just putting Joe Tucson in. Because when you do put Tucson in, you have him and McCaffrey, ostensibly if we're just doing a starting lineup adjustment, you have him and McCaffrey that are both negative shooters. And it does change it a little bit. So then do you have to rethink, how do you play Connor McCaffrey? Should you actually take... Connor out instead of Joe Toussaint. And then there's maybe a little different dynamic because it's a coach's kid. I think these kids all like each other. So I'm not necessarily concerned about him playing favorites with his sons over other guys. But I think that's part of the reason that I always struggled with recruiting is because, you know, you see the writing on the wall that they're a coach's sons. Am I going to get minutes over him? I think that's a fair discussion for maybe not a, for a later time, but I think for right now, it's not necessarily a concern, but I think from a lineup structure standpoint, then it forces him to think who should be the four that I'm going to throw out there. Is it someone like Keegan Murray? Keegan right now, I think is Iowa's best athlete in terms of covering a ton of ground, but he's a freshman. He's come off, you know, his uh, prep school year. It's, difficult to put a lot of um, maybe trust into a kid who's two years out of true high school um, to be maybe that fifth guy in a lineup, but he's got someone who doesn't need the ball is going to work his tail off and does provide a longer defender, better athlete than Connor um, from a basketball sense. And Maybe that's why. And he is, I think, a stronger shooter than Connor. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's as easy as just saying, oh, put Tucson in instead of Bohannon. I think it maybe forces a little different um, calculus than just that. Maybe I'm off, but that's kind of the way I sense it in terms of um, where Fran might be coming from in terms of, well, these five guys have played together for the last two to three years, we, we have to kind of let them them figure it out. We might we might even be talking about the wrong lineup here. Like, And I really hope we don't see Nunji and Garza on the floor again together this year. But it's like, I would have liked to see Keegan Murray out there instead of Nunji when they had, when they had the two towers, when they had the twin towers out there together on Friday. Like, I would like to see, I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to see Nunji ever again, but like, I would, I would love to see more Garza and Murray on the court at the same time is what I'm trying to say more or less. And maybe that's, again, I don't think these are the answers, but it's like, there's so many problem with friend is always these combinations. They create so many excuses for people like us to nitpick his coaching. <laughs> really? That's what it is. though. Right. Cause like th- there were times where you, you throw the, the subs out there around either, um, Frederick or Wieskamp. So it's like Toussaint, Nunji, Murray, McCaffrey. And there's just a ton of length, a ton of athleticism. And you see where that kind of is like a change up against the opponent in terms of, wow, we have to attack this team totally different than we otherwise would have to. So in a way you're, you're playing five guys who are big 10 caliber players um, but completely different than how 
they're going to play you straight up from a, a, a scouting perspective. And I wonder if it's maybe more commitment to that, um, that platoon or whatever you want to call it, because um, I don't know, like I, I, I'm not in love with it when he, he throws out like those super big lineups that look like Pat was almost a two at one point. Like that makes no sense. Um, He's never done it before ever. He never had Woodbury and Ola Shandy on the floor. He never had um, who were who even the centers after them. Like he, he has never done a twin towers lineup as far as I can remember. Yeah. I think you're, you're hoping that Nunji's three starts falling, but uh, we've seen enough games. I think he's just relying on it a little too much instead of like, you look at just their stat lines from, from uh, Friday night and um, granted, you know, Garza played 40, 39 minutes, but he had 11 offensive rebounds, six defensive rebounds. Nunji in his eight minutes, one offensive rebound, one defensive rebounds. Um, you're hamstringing, you're not putting Nunji in the best position for him to succeed when you put both of them out there together. And I think you also <laughs> don't want to hamstring yourself by just objectively sitting the best player in the country because you want to let Nunji get minutes without uh, Luca Garza. But I think part of it is trusting Nunji to be able to be a, a good fact similarly for what Luca Garza is without Luca Garza on the floor. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've got nothing to add. The only thing I have to add is, yeah, it took us an hour to talk about Joe Wieskamp. I said this last time we were on the pod. Feels silly saying with Luca Garza on the team. But again, Joe Wieskamp had an incredible game. And, uh, you know, my take wasn't articulated and it won't be articulated again. But it's like, what would we be saying about Joe Wieskamp if it wasn't for Garza right now? Like, he is playing as good as I can remember an Iowa player playing yeah, outside yeah. of Garza again. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's worth extending this a little bit because Wieskamp, Isle was searching for offense in that first half in a way that they haven't had to search for offense this year. And that stretch to close the half was just... I was blown away by what Wieskamp did. He attacked the basket, got fouled, and then hit a three. Like a, a he did seven... Everything. A seven-point stretch within the last two minutes and got the game back to where it was. Uh, a, Iowa had a chance to win. Ken Palm had it as basically a 50-50 game at that point. And to me, that's what you want from him. He ended up only having 14 points, but that's part of it because Frederick was on fire. You're not going to go away from the hot hand like uh, Frederick in that standpoint. But um, he just played incredible basketball for a stretch that, um, you know, like you said, he's, he's done it all for a lot of this year. And even though he didn't have kind of the same scoring output that he's had, um, 14 points, nine rebounds, two assists, two steals, just one turnover playing 38 minutes there there's, yeah, I, he, he's turned into, um, just an incredible complimentary piece, which, uh, I'm very happy for him because there there was a stretch where it just like oh just uh, maybe just turn the page into next year for Joe from last season because um, he's he seems to have figured it out and and I hope that that he can continue on this trajectory because he's he's showing you know a lot of what what people want to see from him. He's going to have a game this year where he just puts the team on his back. I'm predicting that now and. Uh, maybe it'll happen more than once, but he's, we're going to, I think finally, you know, fully appreciate him this year. Not, not yep. finally, but not finally, but we will. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he's had those games in the past, but I think there, there, it's just a matter of time before he has he just the game or forgotten, two. I think cause he missed so many games last year, right? He didn't miss any games, but he was just, he, well, I, he yeah. looked so off. For, for a long stretch that that's kind of how he left because there, there was a point during last season where he, he was putting up numbers like almost a first team 
uh, all Big Ten player. And I don't think he's there again this year just because I think the league has uh, improved around him. Like Ron Harper Jr. is <laughs> he look he's looked really good um, at times, and uh, you know that's kind of the type of guy that Joe Wieskamp's going up against in terms of postseason accolades. Um, so we'll see. Like, but I, I suspect he'll he'll end up on one of the top three um, All Big Ten teams, which is is a tall task in in you know twenty 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 one. So. Before we close off, Ben, you, you got you got anything else as we wrap up? Um, God, no. All righty. <laughs> I mean, what is there to talk about? We hit it all. Fantastic. I mean, we could have looked ahead to Northwestern, but I really don't want to look ahead to uh, Northwestern. You're good. Again, me a little right? bit. Yeah. They just won yeah, I was, state, right? I was look. I was, they won by one point against Ohio State. I was looking at their Ken Palm page. It's honestly a little daunting so i'll have a write-up for for that oh will i have it tomorrow or will i have it oh i'll have a write-up for that when i have a write-up for that what day is the um, game it is on tuesday uh, 8 p.m wow sad yeah tuesday at 8 p.m ken palm has it as a nine point iowa win not sure i trust that Ooh. I'm going to have to make sure that it is not my day to put Elliot to sleep. Um, so, yeah, podcast should be out Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, that'll be that. So, uh, for Ben Ross, I am Harrison Starr. This was the Pants Party. Go Hawks. Fuck Mizzou.